we pick up in Luke, we find that Jesus' reputation has started to grow significantly. He's now caught the attention of the, fr- the Pharisees and the scribes, who at the time of Jesus were considered the, the religious elite, the religious authorities of Jesus' day. In Luke 5, we're told that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had come from every village of Galilee, Judea, and even from Jerusalem. The spies have been sent. They want to investigate this new teacher, Jesus. And as we read Luke, we find a growing tension between Jesus and the other religious leaders. In chapters 5 and 6, the Pharisees have already criticized Jesus on four different occasions. They're upset with him for forgiving the sins of a paralytic man. They question why his disciples don't fast. They complain about when he hangs out with tax collectors and sinners, to which Jesus so famously responds, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. But it's when Jesus changes the interpretation of Sabbath that'll really make their blood boil. The interaction begins once more with Jesus teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And there in the synagogue is a man with a withered right hand. Most likely his strong hand. Most likely his working hand. The scribes and the Pharisees are there also watching to see if Jesus would cure someone on the Sabbath. They're looking to find an accusation to bring against him. Within Israel, the the Pharisees and the scribes were educated, respected religious leaders. And then they have this carpenter from Nazareth, Nazareth, just starting a significant movement, talking about the kingdom of God and something new breaking into this world. I once heard a story about three Englishmen who took a trip to Ireland to catch a rugby game. After they got off the flight, they walked to the custom booths, but found that the custom booths were empty. There was no personnel, there was no official authority, so these three Englishmen who had a good sense of humor climbed into the booths, put on some caps that they found there, and they started inspecting the other travelers as they arrived, stamping their passports for them because they wanted to keep things moving. They had no official training or authority, but they quickly figured out what to do. I never knew actually how that story ended, but I can't help but wonder what the official customs authorities would have said when they got there on the scene to find these three English chaps doing their job. That must have been how Jesus appeared by many onlookers. He had no formal training. He had no public office. He was not a scribe. He was not a Pharisee. He was not a Sadducee. 
But here is Jesus challenging how one of the most sacred laws in all of Israel is to be interpreted. The law of Sabbath. The fourth commandment. As Exodus 20 says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and consecrated it. The sheer length of this commandment, especially when you compare it to the other nine, demonstrates its importance for God's people. Keeping the Sabbath became a central fixture in the identity of Jewish people. It was a day of rest and a day of remembering the Lord. Other nations knew you were Jewish because you kept the Sabbath. Now, it might be tempting for us to look on this whole scene about the Sabbath with a sense of disinterest. Well, because, I mean, people don't really care about the Sabbath anymore. In the church, we might look at interactions like these with Jesus and the Pharisees talking about Sabbath and perhaps wrongly conclude that, well, Jesus doesn't really care about the Sabbath anyways. So we look at the whole concept as a suggestion. And we have to ask ourselves, how did the Ten Commandments become the Ten Suggestions? We have a church on one side seemingly saying to us that Sabbath is really mostly a suggestion or a guideline, really. And then we have our culture on the other side of us applauding success and wealth and busyness and subtly telling us that our value and our worth as a person is defined by how busy we are. And then there's the Word of God. We find in Scripture from the Old through the New Testament that Sabbath never stops being important. Jesus is simply reinterpreting how it is to be understood. The Sabbath was made for humankind. Humankind was not made for the Sabbath. It's to be a gift, not a burden. God says, just one day a week, just one day a week, stop, rest, and remember me. Keep it holy, protect it, guard it. The problem is that in Jesus' day, the religious leaders are taking Sabbath seriously just in the absolute worst way possible acting like the Sabbath police while missing the entire point of rest and worship. They become so legalistic about their interpretation that they fail to see the whole reason behind the law, which is to give life and help us flourish together. And so, on that Sabbath day, Standing in front of everyone, including the religious leaders, Jesus brings a man forward with a withered hand. 
Jesus wants everyone to see this man, perhaps reminding all of us, reminding everyone there that when we debate the law, we're talking about real people with real lives. Jesus has him stand next to him. Look at this man. Look into his eyes. See his face. Then Jesus asks, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or destroy it? Jesus is essentially saying, how can we let our interpretation of this law stop us from loving someone, from caring from someone, from saving life and doing good? Jesus is not doing away with the Sabbath. He's simply redefining how we're to understand it. It's not about abolishing the law. As Jesus says in Matthew, he came to fulfill the law, showing us how to read it through the lens of love and ultimately through the lens of the cross. Right before this encounter in Luke chapter 6, 1 through 5, some Pharisees questioned Jesus about why his disciples are picking and eating grain on the Sabbath. And then Jesus tells them a story about King David, who has sacred authority as God's anointed. And then Jesus says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, I am in line with the Messiah, King David. I have special authority over Sabbath, meaning Jesus gets to set the terms, how we understand it. And so standing next to the man with the withered hand in the synagogue, he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man does so. And his hand is restored. The man's hand being healed is symbolic for what God is doing everywhere. Jesus is bringing new creation to the world, restoration. Just before this scene in Luke 5, Jesus says to the Pharisees, no one tears a piece from a new garment and sews it on an old one. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst. These are ways of saying that something new has come in Jesus Christ. And in his death and resurrection, the beginning of this new world is bursting forth. And everything is different. Everything is different. Of course, this new world is not completely remade yet. But the new creation begins when we accept Christ and make him Lord of our life. And we allow Jesus to reinterpret how we see everything. It's not just how we should observe the Sabbath. It's about all of the law, all of faith, all of our actions, all of our convictions, all of our relationships, all of our politics, our beliefs, our philosophies, all of life. We see through the lens of truth, his truth. Jesus reinterprets everything. And as he says in Revelation 21, this is the lens with which you are to look through. Behold, I am making all things new. And the newness of God's kingdom will never erode or fade. 
Friends, we must learn to see the world differently. We must learn to see ourselves differently. We need what Bible scholar Richard Hayes calls a conversion of the imagination. Transforming how we see and think so that we will see and think with the eyes of God. As Paul says in Romans 12, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Seeing the world differently is a daily decision. It's a discipline because we can so easily backslide into the pattern of this world and see it how so many other people see it. But every day, you have to decide, like putting on a pair of glasses, I'm going to see the world through the eyes of Jesus on his terms, and not seeing the old world as everyone else does. A world that is gripped by anxiety and depression and fear, with the general expectation that the future is doom. Jesus wants to enter into that and reinterpret how we see the future, how we see the world. Instead of feeling despair about what's coming, Jesus wants us to feel hope and to show it. Because the word of God speaks of a new creation and that all times we have access to joy. That doesn't mean there aren't going to be times where you're not going to be happy. Anxiety, sorrow, depression are all real. And if any of those are manifested in your life or in the life of a family member or friend, that doesn't mean God has abandoned you and that doesn't mean that you lack faith. But the truth is, friends, we always have access to hope. And we need not despair. Even when, we, when we're sad, even if we're depressed, there is still a powerful hope present because of Christ. Maybe Jesus wants to reinterpret how you see people. Maybe all people. Maybe a certain people group, or maybe one person in particular. Because the Word of God teaches us not to judge, to love friend, to love neighbor, to love enemy, to love everybody. It doesn't matter. Change how you see people as children of God. Maybe Jesus wants to reinterpret how you see a social issue, a faith issue, a movement, an experience, an idea. Whatever Jesus wants to reinterpret for you, remember that Jesus sets the tone. Jesus sets the standard. Jesus is the lens with which we see all things. That is what it means when Jesus is the Lord of your life. And it takes a humble heart. It takes a willingness to pray. Prayer is where you put those 
glasses on so you can see the world through the eyes of Christ. It takes a willingness to surrender. It takes a willingness to be transformed by God's Spirit. Back when I was in high school in California, I knew a guy who was a couple of years older than me. He went to an elite, wealthy, private school where he dealt drugs. I was not one of his customers. (laughs) Just need to get that out there. But this, he became a friend of mine. He sold high-end drugs to wealthy Orange County teenagers at a private elite school. And over the span of two years, this high school student made over $200,000. He had everything that an Orange County kid could want. He drove a Porsche. He had money. I don't know where he hid it. In the bank, under his mattress. But of course, he was empty inside selling drugs. And eventually, he met Christ, and his entire life turned upside down. And he began to see things differently as Jesus showed him the lens to look at life. He saw the money differently because he had a conversion of imagination. Instead of keeping it, he donated that $200,000 to charity. And a couple weeks after he met Christ, he ended up crashing the Porsche, totaling it. I remember asking him, how how do you feel about losing the Porsche? And he said, it wasn't mine to begin with. It was bought with drug money, and I'm happy it's gone. The question for us today is, are we willing to let Jesus reinterpret all of life for us? That we might see people, and the world, and issues through the lens of love? Are we willing to let Jesus give us a conversion of our imaginations? God's new world is breaking into ours, friends, and Jesus is looking for followers who can see the new creation. Jesus is looking for followers who want to live into the new creation. So let us look at life, including ourselves, through the lens of truth, the lens of Christ, his lordship, and his new creation. That is what it means to be transformed in the mind. And the transformation, friends, begins at the cross. I'd like to invite our servers to come forward and be seated.